Section 4 of A Treatise on Bread and Bread Making. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Tatiana Chichilla. A Treatise on Bread and Bread Making by Sylvester Graham. Properties of Bread. Superfine flour injurious, a probable cause of some common disorders. Objections to coarse bread, its medicinal properties. Extensive experiments of its use by soldiers and others. Use among European peasantry. Selection, preservation, and grinding of wheat. Whether our bread is of domestic manufacture or made by the public baker, that which is made of superfine flour is always far less wholesome in any and every situation of life than that which is made of wheat and meal which contains all the natural properties of the grain. It is true that when much flesh is eaten with our bread, or when bread constitutes but a very small and unimportant portion of our food, the injurious effects of superfine flour bread are not always so immediately and distinctly perceived as in other cases. Nevertheless, it is a general and invariable law of our nature that all concentrated forms of food are unfriendly to the physiological or vital interests of our bodies. A very large proportion of all the diseases and ailments in civic life are originated by causes which are introduced into the alimentary canal as articles of diet, and disturbance and derangement of function obstructions debility and irritations are among the most important elements of those diseases it is probably speaking within bounds to say that nine-tenths of the adults and nearly as large a proportion of youth in civic life are more or less affected with obstructions and disturbances in the stomach and bowels and other organs of the abdomen the symptoms of which are either habitual costiveness or diarrhoea or an alteration of both or frequent and severe attacks of what are called bilious colics etc etc and in children and youth, worms, fits, convulsions, etc. And I cannot but feel confident that the use of superfine flour bread is among the important causes of these and numerous other difficulties. I have indeed been surprised to observe that in the hundreds of cases of chronic diseases of every form and name, which have come to my knowledge within the last five or six years, costiveness of the bowels has in almost every instance been among the first and most important symptoms and I have never known this difficulty, even after an obstinate continuance of five, ten, twenty, or thirty years, fail to disappear in a short time, after the coarse wheaten bread of a proper character has been substituted for that made of superfine flour. Some physicians and other individuals, without properly examining the subject, have raised several objections against the coarse wheaten bread. It is said in the first place that bran is wholly indigestible, and therefore should never be taken into the human stomach. This objection betrays so much ignorance of the final causes and constitutional laws clearly indicated by the anatomical structure and physiological economy of the alimentary organs that it scarcely deserves the slightest notice. If the digestive organs of man were designed to receive nothing but digestible and nutrient substances, they would have been constructed and arranged very differently from what they are. As we have already seen, everything which nature provides for our sustenance consists of certain proportions of nutritious and innutritious matter— and a due proportion of innutritious matter in our food is as essential to the health and functional integrity of our alimentary organs as a due proportion of nutritious matter is to the sustenance of the body. Another objection is that although bran may serve, like other mechanical irritants and excitants, for a while to relieve constipation, yet it soon wears out the excitability of the organs and leaves them more inactive than before. Here again, a false statement is urged by inexcusable ignorance— for it is not true that the bran acts in the manner supposed in this objection, nor are the effects here asserted ever produced by it. It is true, however, that the very pernicious habits of some people, who use the coarse wheaten bread, entirely counteract the apparent effects of the bread, and it is true that others, depending wholly on the virtues of this bread for peristaltic action, 
and neglecting all exercise by their extreme inertness and indolence and overeating, bring on a sluggishness and debility and constipation of the bowels, and perhaps become severely afflicted with piles, in spite of the natural fitness of the bread to promote regular peristaltic action and to prevent all these results. A third objection is that, though the coarse wheaten bread may do very well for those who are troubled with constipation, by mechanically irritating and exciting the stomach and bowels, yet for that very reason is wholly unfit and improper for those who are afflicted with chronic diarrhea. Here is still another objection founded in ignorance of the true physiological and pathological principles which it involves. The truth is that the coarse wheaten bread, under a proper general regimen, is as excellent and sure a remedy for chronic diarrhea as for chronic constipation. I have seen cases of chronic diarrhea of the most obstinate character, and which had baffled the highest medical skill and every mode of treatment for more than twenty years, yielding entirely under a proper general regimen in which this bread was the most exclusive article of food, and not a particle of medicine was used. And I have never known such a mode of treatment to fail of wholly relieving diarrhea, whether recent or chronic, although a very great number of cases have come under my service. It is fully evident, therefore, that the brand does not act on the digestive organs as a mere mechanical irritant, for if it did, it would always necessarily aggravate rather than alleviate diarrhea. Nor does it relieve diarrhea on the principle of a narcotic, nor of a stimulant, for the effect of these is always to give an immediate check to that complaint, and in such a manner as to expose the system to a return of it. But the coarse wheaten bread seems to increase the disease for a short time at first, and then gradually restores the healthy condition and action of the bowels. The mucilage of wheat bran is probably one of the most soothing substances in the vegetable kingdom that can be applied to the mucous membrane of the stomach and bowels. Chronic constipation and chronic diarrhea both spring from the same root, where the constitutional vigor of the alimentary canal is very considerable, continued irritations resulting in debility will produce constipation, and these continued causes operating for some time will often induce such a state of debility and irritability as attended with diarrhea, and in other cases, when this constitutional vigor of the alimentary canal is much less, diarrhea is far more readily induced and rendered chronic. Coarse wheaten bread, then, by its adaptation to the anatomical structure and to the physiological properties and functional powers of our organs, serves to prevent and to remove the disorders and diseases of our bodies, only by preventing and removing irritation and morbid action and condition, and thereby affording the system an opportunity of recovering its healthy and vigorous action and condition. And the thousands of individuals in our own country, of every age, of both sexes, of all institutions, situations, conditions, and circumstances, who within the last six years have been benefited by using the coarse wheaten bread, instead of that made of superfine flour, are living witnesses of the virtues of that bread. But the testimony in favor of coarse wheaten bread is an important article in the food of man, is by no means limited to our own country, nor to modern times. In all probability, as we have already seen, the first generations of our species, who became acquainted with the art of making bread, continued for many centuries to employ all the substance of the grain, which they coarsely mashed in their rude mortars or mills. And even since mankind began, by artificial means, to separate the bran from the flour, and to make bread from the latter, the more close and discerning observers among physicians and philanthropists have perceived and asserted that bread made of fine flour is decidedly less wholesome than that made of the unbolted wheat meal. Hippocrates, styled the father of medicine, who flourished more than 2,000 years ago, and who depended far more on a correct diet and general regimen, both for the prevention and removal of disease, than he did on medicine, particularly commended the unbolted wheat meal bread, for its salutary effects upon the bowels. 
it was a fact well understood by the ancients that this bread was much more conducive to the general health and vigor of their bodies and every way better adapted to nourish and sustain them than that made of fine flour and accordingly their wrestlers and others who were trained for great bodily power ate only the coarse wheaten bread to preserve them in the strength of their limbs the spartans were famous for this kind of bread and we learn from pliny that the romans as a nation at that period of their history when they were the most remarkable for bodily vigor and personal prowess and achievement knew no other bread for three hundred years the warlike and powerful nations which overran the roman empire and finally spread over the greater part of europe used no other kind of bread than that which was made of the whole substance of the grain and from the fall of the roman empire to the present day a large proportion of the inhabitants of all europe and the greater part of asia have rarely used any other kind of bread if you set any value on health and have a mind to preserve nature said thomas tryon a student in physic in his way to health long life and happiness published in london in the latter part of the fifteenth century you must not separate the finest from the coarsest flour because that which is fine is naturally of an obstructive and stopping quality but on the contrary the other which is coarse is of a cleansing and opening nature therefore the bread is best which is made of both together it is more wholesome easier of digestion and more strengthening than bread made of the finest flour it must be confessed that the nutrimentive quality is contained in the fine flour yet in the branny part is contained the opening and digestive quality and there is as great a necessity for the one as the other for the support of health that which is accounted the worst is as good and beneficial to nature as the best for when the finest flour is separated from the coarsest and branny parts neither the one nor the other has the true operations of the wheat meal the eating of fine bread therefore is inimical to health and contrary both to nature and reason and was at first invented to gratify wanton and luxurious persons who are ignorant both of themselves and the true virtue and efficacy of natural things baron steuben has told me says judge peters that the peculiar healthfulness of the prussian soldiers was in a great measure to be attributed to their ammunition bread made of grain triturated or ground but not bolted which was accounted the most wholesome and nutritious part of their rations the dutch sailors in the days of their naval glory were supplied with the same kind of bread during the war between england and france near the close of the last century says mr samuel pryor a respectable merchant of salem new jersey the crops of grain and particularly wheat were very small in england and the supplies from danzig the netherlands and sweden being cut off by the french army and also the usual supplies from america failing there was a very great scarcity of wheat in england the british army was then very extensive and it was exceedingly difficult to procure provisions for it both at home and abroad on land and sea such was the demand for the foreign army and such the deficiency of crops at home and supplies from abroad that serious fears were entertained that the army would suffer and that the continental enterprise of the british government would be defeated in consequence of the scarcity of provisions and every prudential measure by which such a disastrous event could be prevented was carefully considered and proposed william pitt was then prime minister of state and at his instance government recommended to people generally throughout great britain to substitute potatoes and rice as far as possible for bread in order to save the wheat for the foreign army this recommendation was promptly complied with by many of the people but still the scarcity was alarmingly great in this emergency parliament passed a law to take effect for two years that the army at home should be supplied with bread made of unbolted wheat meal solely for the purpose of making the wheat go as far as possible and thus saving as much as they could from home consumption for the better supply of the army on the continent eighty thousand men were quartered in barracks in the counties of essex and suffolk a great many were quartered throughout the towns at taverns in squads of thirty or forty in a place throughout the whole of great britain the soldiers were supplied with this coarse bread 
It was deposited in the storerooms with the other provisions of the army, and on the day that it was baked, at nine o'clock that next morning, it was distributed to the soldiers, who were at first exceedingly displeased with the bread and refused to eat it, often casting it from them with great rage and violent execrations. But after two or three weeks they began to be much pleased with it and preferred it to the fine flour bread. My father, continues Mr. P., whom I have often heard talk these things over, was a miller and a baker, and resided in the county of Essex, on the border joining Suffolk, and near the barracks containing the eighty thousand soldiers. He contracted with government to supply the eastern district of the county of Essex with the kind of bread I have mentioned, and he used always to send me with it to the depositories on the day it was baked, and though I was then a youth, I can still very distinctly remember the angry looks and remarks of the soldiers when they were first supplied with it. Indeed, they often threw their loaves at me as I passed along, and accompanied them with a volley of curses. The result of this experiment was, that not only the wheat was made to go much farther, but the health of the soldiers improved so much and so manifestly, in the course of a few months, that it became a matter of common remark among themselves, and of observation and surprise among the officers and physicians of the army. These gentlemen at length came out with confidence and zeal on the subject, and publicly declared that the soldiers were never before so healthy and robust, and that disease of every kind had almost entirely disappeared from the army. The public papers were for months filled with recommendations of this bread, and the civic physicians almost universally throughout Great Britain pronounced it far the most healthy bread that could be eaten, and as such recommended it to all the people, who very extensively followed the advice, and the coarse wheaten bread was very generally introduced into families female boarding-schools, and indeed all public institutions. The nobility also generally used it, and in fact, in many towns, it was a rare thing to meet with a piece of fine flour bread. The physicians generally asserted that this wheaten bread was the very best thing that could be taken into the human stomach, to promote digestion and peristaltic action, and that it, more than anything else, would assist the stomach in digesting other things which were less easily digested, and therefore they recommended that a portion of it should be eaten at every meal with other food. Still, after this extensive experiment had been made with such happy results, and after so general and full a testimony had been given in favor of the coarse wheat and bread, when large supplies of superfine flour came in from America, and the crops at home were abundant, and the act of Parliament in relation to the army became extinct, most of the people who had before been accustomed to the use of fine flour bread, now by degrees returned again to their old habits of eating fine bread. Many of the nobility, however, continued to use the coarse bread for a number of years afterwards. General Hanaward, Squire Western, Squire Hanbury, and others living near my father's, continued to use the bread for a long time, and some of them still used it when I left home and came to America in 1816. The testimony of sea captains and old whalemen is equally in favor of wheaten bread. I have always found, said a very intelligent sea captain of more than thirty years' experience, that the coarser my ship bread, the healthier my crew is. A writer in Rees Encyclopedia, article Bread, says... The inhabitants of Westphalia, who are hardy and robust people, and capable of enduring the greatest fatigues, are a living testimony to the salutary effects of this sort of bread, and it is remarkable that they are very seldom attacked by acute fevers and those other diseases which are from bad humors. In short, as I have already stated, the bread of a large portion of the laboring class, or peasantry, throughout Europe, Asia, and Africa, and the islands of the ocean, whether leavened or unleavened, whether more or less artificially prepared, is made of the whole substance of the grain from which it is manufactured, and no one who is sufficiently enlightened in physiological science to qualify him to judge correctly in this matter can doubt that bread made in the best manner from unbolted wheat meal is far better adapted to the anatomical structure and physiological powers of the alimentary organs of man than bread made of superfine wheat flour, 
and consequently the former is far more conductive to the health and vigor and general well-being of man than the latter if therefore mankind will have raised bread which in every respect most perfectly conforms to the laws of constitution and relation established in their nature and is most highly conducive to the welfare of their bodies and souls then must it be well made well baked light and sweet bread which contains all the natural properties of the wheat and if they will have this bread of the very best and most wholesome kind they must as i have already stated see that the soil from which their wheat is raised is of proper character and is properly tilled that the wheat is plump full-grown ripe and free from rust and other diseases and then before it is ground they must see that it is thoroughly cleansed not only from chaff cockles tares and such like substances but also from all smut and every kind of impurity that may be attached to the skin of the kernel and let every one be assured that this is a matter which really deserves all the attention and care that i suggest if human existence is worth possessing it is worth preserving and they who have enjoyed it as some have done and as all the human family are naturally endowed with the capabilities to enjoy it certainly will not doubt whether it is worth possessing nor if they will properly consider the matter can they doubt that its preservation is worthy of their most serious and diligent care and when they perceive how intimately and closely the character of their bread is connected with the dearest interests of man they will not be inclined to feel that any reasonable amount of care and labor is too much to be given to secure precisely the right kind of bread i repeat then that they who would have the very best bread should certainly wash their wheat and cleanse it thoroughly from all impurities before they take it to the mill and when it is properly dried it should be ground by sharp stones which will cut rather than mash it and particular care should be taken that it is not ground too fine coarsely ground wheat meal even when the bran is retained makes decidedly sweeter and more wholesome bread than very finely ground meal when the meal is ground it should immediately be spread out to cool before it is put into sacks or casks for if it is packed or enclosed in a heated state it will be far more likely to become sour and musty and i say again where families are in circumstances to do wholly as they choose in the matter it is best to have but little ground at a time as the freshly ground meal is always the liveliest and sweetest and makes the most delicious bread when the meal is thus prepared and brought home whether in a barrel or sack the next thing to be attended to is that it be placed and kept in a perfectly clean and sweet and well-ventilated meal-room it should on no consideration be put into a closet or pantry or store-room which is seldom aired and more rarely cleansed and into which all manner of rubbish is thrown or even where other kinds of provisions are kept if the meal be put into a pantry or store-room which is confined and dirty and into which old boots and shoes and old clothes and pieces of carpet and other things of this kind are thrown or where portions of vegetable or animal substance whether cooked or uncooked are habitually or even occasionally put and permitted to remain it must be expected as a matter of course of necessity that the quality of the meal will be considerably deteriorated by the impurities with which the air of the place will be loaded and which will continually be generated there people generally have but a sorry idea of what constitutes true cleanliness but they may be assured that they cannot be too deeply impressed with the importance of keeping their meal-room as clean and sweet and well-aired as possible End of section four.